So in this series we're calling Reset, we're saying that this season, pandemic season really, is an opportunity for us to reset our lives, to reorient, to recalibrate our lives, if you will, toward greater discipleship in Jesus. And part of what we're trying to reset from is what we called last week this idea of hurry sickness. It's when we live our lives with the tachometer of our lives pinned over into the red and we live that way day by day, week by week, month by month, year after year, and the long-term effect is hurry sickness. It makes us literally sick, physically, mentally, relationally, and spiritually. And so what we said last week is that Jesus offers us a better way. In Matthew chapter seven that we looked at last week, Jesus was asking this question, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion, and then offers us his yoke. He says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. All of us carry burdens, all of us are yoked to someone or to something. He's saying his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And then offers to teach us the rhythms of grace and how to live our lives freely and lightly. And the feedback I got from last week's message indicated that a lot of us are resonating with this whole idea of hurry sickness. We all kind of know it, we don't like it, but we are addicted. And I use that image of addiction advisedly. It's like an addiction. You try something, addiction works this way, you try something that can be addictive and you like it and so you try it again and again and eventually it's built itself into your life and by the time you realize it, it's begun to create problems in your life and so you try to stop but you can't stop and it just continues on, and it begins to work on you in a way that now you can't imagine your life any other way. You can't imagine your life without this thing that you're addicted to. And hurry is a lot like that. We've been in it so long that it's hard to imagine living our lives in an unhurried kind of way, fearing that we'll be somehow less productive, that we'll, um, our lives will be less than if we change that hurry lifestyle. Recovery from this addiction to hurry is a reset and like any recovery, it's not easy. But Jesus offers us a better way, a more sane way to live. He offers it to us, but it's, it's not magic. You have to follow Jesus, his way of life. 
It's really a call, it's an invitation, if you will, to become an apprentice of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've had experience as an apprentice in your life. You have, you may not have thought about it that way. But really what an apprentice does is comes alongside a master in whatever the field is and observes how the master does things and then tries to imitate that and over time to incorporate it into your life. Children do this just naturally. They are apprenticing at the feet of their parents, watching and observing, imitating and incorporating what they see in us in their lives. I remember uh, having this uh, brought to my attention in a clear way when my boys were little. They were in the back of the car, sitting in their car seats, and I was driving, and something happened that, you know, somebody cut me off, and I had to swerve. And in the back of the car, I heard this little voice say, That idiot! <laughs> I thought, Where'd that come from? Oh, right. They're watching. They're watching. Even as we get older, right, there are those people in our lives who we are apprenticing under, whether it's a teacher or a coach, a boss, someone whose life we admire, and we watch how they do it, we begin to imitate and eventually incorporate it into our life. You know, Jesus gave a lot of profound instructions to his followers. But what do you think the most profound instruction it was that Jesus gave to his followers? Here's what I think it was. He said, come, follow me. Come, follow me. It was an invitation to be an apprentice with Jesus, to observe what he does, to imitate it, and incorporate it into our lives. It's not an invitation to believe in Jesus. Jesus said even Satan believes. It's an invitation to experience and embrace Jesus' life and Jesus' lifestyle. So the scripture we looked at last week was from Matthew chapter seven. I wanna continue in Matthew chapter seven this morning and just share a couple of verses with you, verse 24 and 25 from the uh, interpretation of scripture called the message. Listen to what Jesus said. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, home improvements, to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you worked these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain came down, the river flooded, a tornado hit. Nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. What Jesus is saying here simply is that to build our lives in him is to build on something sound, something secure, something dependable, and all the more so when times are hard. So the question then becomes, how do we do that? How do we follow Jesus? Obviously, Jesus isn't physically present, and so what would it look like for us to follow Jesus? Typically, at this point, we'd be talking about 
spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and Bible study and worship and tithing and fasting and so forth, all of these tools of spiritual growth. And those are all great and worth considering, but this morning I wanna take a somewhat different approach and I wanna talk about four categories of things that Jesus incorporated, had in his life that if we incorporate into our lives, it will help us overcome our hurry addiction. I wanna give you a warning as I start these four. And the warning is this, you're not going to like them. <laughs> At least you're not gonna like one or two of them. In some cases, all of them may sound so strange to you that you may not uh, think this is something I wanna do. But I want you to just bear with me. I want you to go through the process with me and think it through even beyond uh, the message this morning uh, as you think about it as you go through uh, the coming week. And I'll be honest, there's one of these that I've struggled with a lot in my life um, uh, in particular. So here they are. The first one is solitude and silence. That's one, solitude and silence. What this is, it's time alone without distraction. This is mine. This is the one I've struggled with. I'm an extrovert, so I like being with people. I like people around me. Solitude is harder for me. It depletes energy for me rather than gives energy to me. And so it's taken a long time for me to begin to embrace solitude and silence. I, I like sounds. I like music when I uh, uh, am in my office or at home. I, I just like Sound And so this idea of solitude and silence has been one that I've struggled with. But why, why is this important? I think it's important because it is time alone with God to listen. Time alone with God to listen. You know, after Jesus was first baptized, what did he do? The Bible tells us that he immediately went into the wilderness for 40 days of solitude, of fasting. And I used to think, wow, that must have just made him so weak so when he was being tempted by Satan, uh, you know, how did he even overcome it? But really what I've discovered is by that time of solitude with God, he was actually getting stronger. He did the same thing at the end of his ministry, right? As um, he was just about to be arrested, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. He told them to wait while he went off in solitude by himself to speak to and to listen to the Father. Throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus um, in times of greatest stress, of greatest challenge, going off in solitude and silence. If Jesus needed to do this, how much more do you think we need to do this? And this isn't some complicated or scripted thing, you know, uh, by solitude and silence, you go off and you have to read the Bible for so long and pray for so long and sing a hymn and then repeat the process. It's not like that. It's simply a time to get away by yourself and to be quiet, to listen to the things that Jesus may want to tell you, to just hang out with Jesus. And this is gonna look different for everybody. If you're a young mom and you've got little kids, you're probably looking at this one and saying, sign me up. 
Silence and solitude, I'm all about it because you have so little time for that in your life, but you do need some of that. And so the question is for all of you, for all of us, what would it look like in your weekly calendar, in your daily calendar, to carve out some time of solitude and silence. Like I said, I've gotten better at it over time. I've embraced this more. So I have time in my day where either in my office, you know, I close the door, no music, just a time of silence, listening for the voice of God, or I go for a walk. One of the things that uh, Marilyn and I have often talked about loving to do is go out in our kayaks. And part of the joy of that is it's a time of quiet, of solitude, as we're out on the water and just uh, listening for the voice of God. The second one, then, is Sabbath. Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally means to cease, to rest, to celebrate. A day of stopping work. A day of rest. A day to celebrate God. It's so important that God actually commands us to do it. I mean, I think this hurry sickness isn't new to us. In fact, it's so part of the human condition that God literally had to give us a command to stop working, to take a rest. And in the commandments, it's the one that he has the most to to say about. Remember the Sabbath, he says. Don't forget this. Make it holy. Holy means separate, apart. Six days you work, one day you rest. Rest. Be with me and rest. When we were doing the shelter in place uh, back uh, last March, um, I was hearing from folks who were um, having, you know, we, you couldn't go anywhere, everything was closed and so forth. And a lot of people my age and older especially were saying, this reminds me of when I was a kid, when everything was closed on Sunday. So we would go to church and then we would just kind of hang out for the rest of the day. It's sort of like that and I kind of like it. Maybe that's one of those things that we talked about last week that you started doing through this pandemic and you want to keep doing is to honor the Sabbath. When I was in Israel, they take the Sabbath very seriously. Everything in Israel closes down at sundown on Friday and is closed until sundown on Saturday. It's a time of real rest and real reflection. Physical and spiritual renewal can happen. It sounds crazy, right? I mean, maybe even boring, a time waster. It doesn't have to be. You can spend Sabbath in life-giving ways. It's not just about sitting uh, on your couch with your Bible and again reading scriptures and, and uh, you know, singing hymns and so forth. Sabbath could mean attending worship, going for a walk, playing catch with your kids, taking a nap, listening to music, gathering with friends for food and, and wine and to just breathe and to be grateful to God for the things 
in your life. So what are a couple of things that you could stop doing on a Sabbath day to open up better rest and God focus? Are there a couple of things that you could stop doing to allow greater experiences of Sabbath? The third, then, is, uh, the third category is simplicity, simplicity. And this is about decluttering your life in order to reduce stress and to make room for greater uh, things, for more important things like generosity. Less stuff for more time, less stress, greater generosity. You know, Jesus wasn't poor. I don't know if you think of that, uh, Jesus being poor, but Jesus was a tradesman uh, before he started his earthly ministry, which meant he made a living wage for himself. And when he started his ministry, he had wealthy people, particularly wealthy women, who contributed to his ministry. He needed a treasurer. It was Judas, but, you know, he needed a treasurer. So it wasn't that Jesus lived a life of poverty. It's that Jesus didn't have a lot of stuff that allowed him great freedom to do all of the things that he did. What makes this so hard for us is that our whole culture is built around one word, buy. Buy stuff, you need stuff, you've gotta have stuff. It's billboards on the, the roads, every device that you have has advertisements on it. We're bombarded with a constant din of buy, buy, buy. Even during the lockdown, when the stores were closed, we almost broke UPS because we didn't stop buying and they had you know, to deliver all of this stuff to us. The more stuff, the more time it takes to care for our stuff, to deal with our stuff. And so it clutters our lives, it depletes our accounts, and it takes our time. Jesus teaches, don't make stuff the treasure of your life. Don't make stuff the treasure of your life, because it doesn't last. Moth and rust will destroy it. Thieves are gonna take it away. It doesn't last. Instead, invest in things that are enduring things of the kingdom. You know, one of the joys I've discovered of tithing, and I've tithed my income, meaning 10% of uh, all the income I get, 10% of that I give to uh, God's work. Uh, to serving and blessing others um, and, and through, through the church and through other ministries. And I've been doing that for 40 years, and one of the great joys of that is I am investing in things that endure. When I think about that, every child who's ever come to Hope, every student who's ever gone through our ministries here, every man, woman, boy, girl who's come to faith or grown in their faith or discovered their spiritual gifts or has found great friendships here. All of that is what I've invested in through my tithe and there is no trinket on earth more valuable to me 
than those things, those things that endure. So what would it look like for you to reduce your spending, to declutter your life? How would you invest those resources, both time and income, in things that are enduring? Here's the last one. Slowing. Slowing. This is just about creating margins in your life. Creating margins in your life. Saying no or maybe not now to certain activities so that you are not so busy that you don't have any time in your life for anything else. Slowing down allows you to be present where you are and with who you are. And part of the slowing, I think, is these devices that we carry around with us that keep us from being present where we are and with who we are because they're constantly calling for our attention. Texts and emails and notifications and all kinds of uh, prompts are coming in on our phone that keep us from being present. You know, this isn't a new thing. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus and his disciples go to a house of Jesus' friend Martha and her sister Mary, and I can just picture them in the living room, and Jesus is talking to them and sharing, I'm sure, amazing things, but Martha is preparing dinner, and she's so frustrated because Mary won't help her, and she finally goes to Jesus and says, why don't you tell Mary to help me? I'm trying to make dinner here, and Jesus says, and not in a condemning way, I don't think, not in a shaming way, but says, Martha, Martha, you are so distracted. You are so busy. Mary's picked the more important thing. Why don't you join us? We'll take care of dinner. Slow down. Enjoy the moment. Be present here. Slowing down, I know, will look different for each of us. It'll look different for a 20-year-old college student than it looks for a 30-year-old with uh, young children. It'll look different for a 60-year-old empty nester. But what would it look like for you to slow down? What activities could you eliminate in order to create some margin in your life? Solitude and silence, Sabbath, simplicity, slowing, all practices of Jesus, all designed to help us become more healthy. And when we're more healthy, physically and spiritually, relationally and mentally, we're more productive, not less productive. That's what these are about, to help us overcome hurry sickness and our addiction to hurry. So we're going to listen to a song that the, uh, the worship band is going to share with us, and then I'll close us out in prayer.